What's up, everyone? This is Shiragam, and I want to welcome you to the 23rd episode of the Hashish Inn, brought to you by Rosin Evolution. You can visit them at rosinevolution.com. As always, thank you for tuning in. Today, I'll be talking to Raskaya Paul of Pacific Northwest Roots, based in Washington. We'll be discussing the progression of the Washington cannabis scene, including what it takes to be an independent recreational hash company today. We'll be talking about some of Kaya's breeding projects, Hawaii, and much more. So definitely stay tuned for that. Thank you to the community of people who make up our Patreon. You guys are the ones who allow us to keep exploring hash by talking to some of the most experienced hash makers, growers, and breeders behind cannabis resin. And then more importantly, you allow us to share it with everyone else. Without the Patreon community, as much as I love doing this, there would be no podcast. So if at any point you want to or can contribute, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com backslash the hashish in that's the hashish i n n or visit the link on our instagram bio my hope is that as a member of the community you feel like you're getting back something substantial and of value which is why we craft additional interviews we have the community chat so definitely check us out shout out to our sponsors rosin evolution who again you can visit that rosinevolution.com or on instagram at rosin evolution 100 For many people, this is the time of year, time to harvest, and then time to put in that hard work. And what better bags to work with than Rosin Evolution? If you need reliable, accurate, well-priced bags that get to you quick, then just visit rosinevolution.com, buy the best bags in the game, use our savings code, the letters THI710, that's THI710, save 5% on your entire Rosin Evolution order. Again, visit them at rosinevolution.com. They got you covered on pre-presses, parchment, and basically anything rosin. Shout out to our homies Pele Polare, who you can visit at pelepolareco.com or on their Instagram, pele underscore polare. They make high quality thermal jacketing systems that help keep your vessel at a steady temperature. And in this case, that's obviously gonna be cold. Let's keep it simple. If you wash hash, you only need a few things, material, water, ice, a vessel, and the vessel holds the process together. But the vessel, AKA your washing machine or your trash can, isn't made of material to appropriately deal with the condensation. And that's where the value is in a thermal jacketing system. It helps keep your vessel insulated. And by not allowing it to condense as quickly, you end up introducing less ice, which is good on many levels. You don't introduce more possible agitators or contaminant. You spend less on ice and you spend less time putting in ice and worrying about ice. So if you want to keep your water colder for longer and use less ice by battling condensation, then get yourself a thermal jacketing system by Pele Polare. They can customize it for you anywhere from five gallons to a thousand gallons in almost any shape. So visit them at pelepolareco.com and use our savings code, the letters THI, to save 5% on your entire Pele Polare order. And last but not least, our homies Low Temp Plates, who you can visit at lowtemp.plates on Instagram or at lowtemp-plates.com. I've recently had a few people reach out and tell me that they've switched over to the Low Temp Plates V2 systems 
from other high-end rosin presses and that they've been thrilled with the results and that makes me happy not only because they got a great product at a reasonable price but I'm also thrilled because as I've told you from the beginning I only want to promote companies and products that I believe in and help you save a little money along the way while helping the podcast as well their systems are compact they're versatile they're reasonably priced they can be customized they're built in the USA and they're backed by a lifetime warranty there's not much else you could ask for in a press visit them at lowtemp-plates.com and save 5% on your entire order with low temp plates using the letters THI that's our savings code the letters THI when you check out will save you 5% with your entire low temp plates order Thank you to David from Cultura Cannabis for doing our web series last month. Thank you for listening. I certainly hope you enjoy the episode. I am thankful to be here with Ross Kaya Paul from Pacific Northwest Roots, who you can follow on Instagram at Pacific NW Roots with a Z, which is his shadow band account. Is that right, Kaya? Yes, I. The more current where he can actually post uh, pictures of weed and hash is at Pacific NW Roots with an S and then the underscore at the end. And you also have at Worldwide Roots where you have some of your uh, seed selections available, correct? Yeah, you can go there and, and visit and check out all of our menus, previous menus, current menus, a little bit of content as well. Cool. So... You know, first, I like to always thank the guests for taking the time. So thank you for, you know, making time out of your busy schedule to sit down with me. Thank you for having me. I I appreciate you and your time as well, brother. Hey, thank you. And it was funny because we were DMing getting to this and you said you needed a a break from making hash. So I'm glad to be that, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think I get a I get the weekend off, so two days is good, <laughs> and uh, then it's right back. <laughs> yeah, and you were you know you were telling me uh, it's basically two of you right now, and and you washed how much and and how long? So we're we're just just around a hundred thousand grams this week, and I've got I've got one little assistant, and uh, I, I call him the little assistant. Uh, he's he's got the biggest heart, but he's a he's a really small kid uh, in stature and. He's, uh, he's dealing with uh, cystic fibrosis. And, um, so it's really not easy for him to work in the, the climate, you know, the climate controlled area where we're working. And, uh, but he just loves hash and he shows up and, uh, just wants to get after it. So shout out to, uh, to Tyler, the CF hashishian. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. It, that sounds like a, definitely like a challenge and interesting to see here that like, you know, the environment obviously plays like a role in, in affecting that. But yeah, props to him for, for grinding it out for the love for the hash. We, we just smashed out just under 100,000 grams uh, this week, which is, you know, we, we're trying to crank out. We've, we've kind of figured out with our little system that we have, uh, we can get through about 24,000 grams in a day. So, you know, and then, and then basically the choke point now in our process is, is the freeze dryer. And we, we circumvent that a little bit by, buying extra trays and then uh, pre-freezing the material. So, you know, we can keep on washing and then, you know, just freeze those trays. And then as the freeze dryer comes open, then we just, you know, pull them out and reload them. Um, So, you know, it's a bootstrap 
um, endeavor. You know, we, we have no investors. It's just us. And, uh, you know, last year, uh, we pretty much just had to take what we had. There's 200 amps on the farm and, uh, we couldn't bring in any kind of funding, uh, just because of the way the laws are set up here in Washington. So we literally kind of had to MacGyver the first year and, and use what was there. And, um, you know, now we've just reinvested every single penny and, uh, you know, we've got to the point now where we actually bought a walk-in freezer, which is super exciting. And, uh, we got it in, you know, a week before harvest and we stuffed that bugger. And, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm just, I'm in there with the crew and we're just banging it out. So yeah, we're, we're knee deep in the hash right now. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. And, you know, I told you before we started the interview, I've had a chance to see you talk on different platforms like shout out to future cannabis project i like what he does he puts out a lot of conversations out there and you know one of the things that you brought up was that pacific northwest roots right now is essentially a hash company and you're a hash company because you can't afford to be a company that grows for flour in washington right now so can you break down kind of why and what's going on? Well, you know, as a starter, the taxes here. So there's a 35% excise tax. So, and then each county is going to have a sales tax attached on top of that, which is generally about 10%. So we're talking 45% of the gross value of that product is going to the state. So you can imagine what that does to the prices. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't just pass that on to the consumer and charge them an exorbitant amount. So, um, you know, an eighth still has to cost $40, except for now the state is going to get the majority of that money. So that makes it, that makes it really difficult on, on paying the processing stuff. And we also can't write off the same kind of things that normal businesses could write off. So, you know, we're operating on the thinnest of margins. So to take all the extra time and space to dry something and then trimmers to trim it, and then you've got to get a test, which costs a couple hundred bucks on every five pound lot. Um, it just w- makes way more sense for us to streamline the process and, you know, flash freeze stuff and get it right into the washers, you know, not have to worry about trimmers. And we cut down, you know, the cost of labor super significantly. And, um, you know, we're increasing the value of our end product as well because the flower market up here, I mean, it's, you know, when, when you have to do all the work to grow the flower and, and then put it in the jar, tested, stickered, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you're going to get, you know, maybe 14 bucks for an eighth. Um, it's, it's very difficult to make ends meet. So, you know, at some point, I guess we'll, we'll probably get to that, but, but right now, it just makes way more sense to process it this way. And, you know, that's kind of our business model anyways. Um, you know, we love hash and I've got some great strains that are awesome for flowers and we'll keep those around. And, you know, maybe one day things will change, but you know, right now, you know, there's, there's talk of them bringing the 35% excise tax down to 20%. So we'd imagine that that'll give us a little more breathing room. And um, at that point we'll be able to do things differently. So. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, still sounds high, but obviously 35, you know, I've had uh, Ozzy, the Cuban grower on, and he's called it like a mafia type tax on, on the businesses that are operating under those models, you know, and I'm sure it makes it hard to, to survive, but it's interesting that, you know, by growing and processing the material, 
you're able to make it work more so. Yeah. And listen, if you get, if you get, you know, you just got to pencil it out and do the math and see if it makes sense, you know, and, and if, if we're washing stuff that doesn't hit the numbers, then, you know, we lose. But if, if we, if you have good strains, you know, if you have the right ones that, and, and you can, and you got them dialed in and, and you can process them, you can actually increase the value of your crop. And, um, you know, that's how it should be. You know, um, think of anything else, you know, the strawberries cost X amount, but the jam costs more, you know, um, when you're processing and adding value into your product, you know, you should, that, that should help you. Um, and, and we can't vertically integrate here either. So, um, I have to sell to a store. I can produce and process, but I, I can't sell it. Um, I have no, I can't have any ties to the retail. So, um, you know, that, that's another little thing here in Washington. You know, the laws here are pretty bad, but they're getting better. The system's getting a little better. The market's getting smarter. Um, so uh, we're happy to participate. And, you know, uh, we kind of hit a milestone, I think. Uh, I was looking at the computer today and year to date, I think we put out over 10,000 grams of hash on the market. So that's that's pretty cool to get to get the goods out to the people like that again. Yeah, for sure. And another thing that I heard you talk about in regards to all this was being patient and not <clears throat> feeling like you need to jump into a market immediately. And you feel like that patience kind of paid off for you and let you do things the way that you want to do now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there was a huge rush here in Washington, like people were chomping at the bit. And um, when they had introduced the rules that were going to govern the market, uh, and then they basically said, okay, on Monday, we're going we're gonna to open up shop here and you guys can come in and get your applications and you can apply. And at that point, at that point, we had a chance to change the game. We could have said, nope, nobody's going into there until you guys change the rules and you invite us to the table and we get to talk about it. You know, you can't overtax us like this. You got to do a couple different things here um, to make it less burdensome, but we couldn't get anybody to stop. You know, they all rushed in and thought they were going to be, you know, the first millionaires. And a lot of those people really got, they got hurt. Those green rushers that ran in there first, they got blown up because they had absolutely the dumbest rules. You, you couldn't even apply unless you had a lease. So some guys went out, I'm going to get the big license. So I got to have a lease for 30,000 square feet, right? So they go sign this huge lease, right? $10,000, $20,000 a month. And the state is sitting over there sorting through stuff, you know, like you're on the hook for that. Nobody's coming to reimburse you for that, you know? So people lost their asses um, and the state doesn't care. And I had seen that happen when they basically, they changed uh, alcohol used to be state ran here. And then they, the people were like, man, you guys are losing money, uh, privatize it. And when they privatize it, they did a bunch of dirty stuff and they, they, they hurt the people that tried to invest. And so I knew that they really didn't care. And, um, so anyways, a, a lot of people that rushed in, they got hurt really bad and the market was crazy. I mean, the first pound sold for $5,000 and, and then it just cracked. Like it was just like, you know, and, you had new users out. They were changing the rules every single month, it seemed. You know, it'd be like, you want to sit down and play poker. You got to ante up all this money. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to change the rules at any time. And the house is going to take 35% excise and 10% off of every pot. Like, who wants to play in that poker game? 
Right. You know, so um, at that point, I had focused more on the seeds and um, doing that kind of circuit and whatnot. But, you know, it's it's gotten a little bit better here in Washington. They've changed some of the rules. They've made it more user-friendly. Um, you know, hopefully they get this, this bit of legislation um, pushed through where they can decrease that excise tax from 35 down to 20%. And, and, and um, you know, that'll be good. And, and I think... I think too, the situation that I got into, you know, somebody had failed in. So I got, I got, I got a bargain on it, you know, and, and I've, I've heard Ivan and the jungle boys talk about that, you know, them going into Florida, they're not paying the big, the big ticket. They're going in there and, and basically just mopping up and, and saying, you know, let, let us show you how it's done. Um, but they're not going to pay the bit, you know? And so I, I got into a really good situation where I'm at and, you know, we control it. We're not in any debt. And we can work at our pace and we can build this up and, and, you know, there's no stopping you when, when you're in that position, it's when you've got, you know, huge overheads and, and that kind of stuff that you can feel the ground, you know, like eating away at your feet as you're trying to build on it. But if you got a strong foundation, that's just not, the, not an issue. So. Yeah. You know. And like you said earlier, when it comes specifically to hash, you got to have the right genetics. You, you got to know what you're doing in essence, like, from the beginning, you got to have a purpose, right? And, and work towards that instead of just, you know, shooting some dice and seeing what happens. Yeah. And, and people, I think, I feel like some people just kind of get like half the picture and they go, go half cocked into it, you know? And like, man, those hash can hurt you. It can hurt you really bad, you know? And, um, you you have to be, I was thinking about this today, like we've got a lot of really cool equipment coming online. People are making really great innovations and stuff, but you still have to have it. You you don't have to call them an artist, but you need to have a technician in there that, that can uh, audible. You know, you need to have a quarterback in there that can audible and look and see what's going on. And, you know, hey, this is the first wash. We got this many more bags in the back or, you know, we need to do something different or I don't know. Uh, Year over year, you got to get better. Um, we learned that, hey, these ones aren't washing fresh frozen, but let's dry them and try them. And we dried them and tried them, and they dumped. And, and it worked out great, you know? So you, you got to find what works and what doesn't. Um, we found differences in spring crops versus, uh, the, you know, the summer crop. You know, you're, you're going to get different yields. Different plants are going to respond. You know, we've had some plants that perform better in the spring, some that perform better in the summer. So getting all that dialed and having that, you know, under your belt is super important. Um, there's a lot of pitfalls that if, if you don't know the game inside and out, you know, it's going to cost you. You'll learn eventually. You know, that's how, that's how I learned. That's how everybody learns, right? You, you, you can make mistakes, but those mistakes, they can cost you money too. So depending on your situation, if, if, you're, if you're losing money, then you, you're probably not going to succeed. For sure. The growing pains. Yeah. Just balancing that out is tough, I'm sure. You know, kind of around the same subject, but switching gears a little, you know, you've been in the game for a while now, and I've heard you talk about the importance of community and not necessarily just about community and cannabis, but can you talk about why that's important to you and how that plays into your cannabis vibe and company? You know, when I, when I, 
I was hustling and, and I was saving up some money and I was thinking about starting a family and all these things and just kind of meditating on, on, on that whole scenario. And, you know, I thought I, I, leaving, leaving your kids a pile of money, right? It's just like a pile of trouble and, and then they're going to go through it and it'll be gone, you know. But if you leave them a community, if you build a community of people that love them and, and you, you have these really tight bonds, that never goes away, you know. And, and I would feel like, okay, I can, I can go on to the next world. I can, I can die, <laughs> you know what I mean? I can sleep at night. I can not worry if I have that in place. And that's really like what drives me as far as the community thing goes. That was like really at the heart of that, that idea in my, in, in my heart, you know, and um, we, I live in a place that's 10 minutes from where I grew up, you know, so I know a lot of people, but um, when we moved to this particular house on this particular street, you know, we didn't know any of the neighbors and we made it a point to go and introduce ourselves. And, um, you know, we found out that they hadn't, known each other either you know and so we started making these connections and you know it's it's just it's really rewarding and it gives you a whole different level of security in a very literal sense you know i mean anything goes down on the street you know we all know we're all in communication about it and and looking out for each other and you know we live in some crazy times and it's, it's really easy to get overwhelmed by this sense of, man, the world's falling apart and what it's too big for me. You know, the beast is too big and, and the beast is too big. But, but what we can do is we can become more sovereign. You know, we can, we can learn to feed ourselves and have a good community so that, that you don't need the machine. You don't have to be plugged into that, that whole Babylon thing. And it's, and it's good. It's healthy for your kids. It's healthy for your community. You know what I mean? Uh, we're richer around here for it, you know, and it's just, uh, uh, it's something that I couldn't imagine really living without. And, uh, I, I just hope other people kind of take to that. You know, it's weird to me that you live in a place that you don't know your neighbors. Like that's, where did that come from? You know, we used to live in groups in family groups for eons, thousands of years. Uh, tens of thousands of you, you know, like tribes, that's what, that's, we're supposed to be close to each other. And I think a lot of the longing that we have is, is tied to that lack of community. So, uh, you know, the more you can participate in, you got to build it. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, but, um, you know, it, it's something that builds on itself, you know, positivity adds up. So. And in relation to the cannabis community in specific, how do you see that maintaining a a type of unity or integrity that could be lost with big box cannabis and you know looming kind of legalization whether that's a good thing or not i don't know you know i don't i i don't think that the the cannabis culture the cannabis community is something that really can be controlled it's it's not a uh I don't know. It's, it, it, it's, it's such a, 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 it's, it's a difficult thing to put words to, right? Um, in my mind, the community that I share with, with a lot of people out there, it's like unspoken, you know, it's like, I, I know what he's going through because I'm kind of doing it too. You know, we're, we just, you just it's, it's like a vibe. You can feel it. You know, when people are trying to coerce that community or that culture uh, to profitize from it or to um, uh, 
you know what I mean, to, to monetize it or kind of manipulate it in some kind of way. I, I think that the culture really responds to that with like, eh, you know, like I'm not feeling that, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not feeling that damn Blazarian shit. You know what I mean? Like we, we're pretty quick to do that, you know? So I'm not, I'm not so worried about the culture really at all. I, I think, I think the other people should be worried about the culture, you know, cause the culture runs shit. Um, and I've sat in, you know, big meetings with, you know, hedge fund guys and uh, these, these, these guys who are gaming the stock market with weed stocks. I'll tell you how the game works. They get, they get these, they're going to do an IPO. That's their, that's their whole jump. They do not care about any of it. Right. But their little thing is they, they, they get entities in all these different markets. And now, now we're incorporated. We got all these entities. And then you, once you're in all these different markets, then your rating goes up and then they get their rating to a certain thing. And then they pump it a little bit and oh, we're going to make an IPO. And that's when they make their money. But the truth is they don't have any of the infrastructure set up. They don't have any of the thing to make that machine ever really fly. They're not trying to get that machine off the ground for real. They're just trying to make this little gameplay. And the culture is going to beat that every time. You know, we're, we're in it for the long, the long game, not the short game. And, and the people who are at the heart of weed, what makes weed sexy, what turns people on to weed, it is not any of that, that corporatized stuff, you know. I just worry about the corporatized, those corporate money buying people out. But uh, again, I, I think the culture will always survive. You know, I think if you sell out, you get called out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of how it is. So, you know, and we got to be, got to be easy on each other. You know, people can attack each other quick and, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, man, like we're, we're more alike than we are different. You know, let's focus on that. And, and let's, let's make each other better and, and let's focus on that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to fight with the next guy over who's the best regenerative farmer <laughs> or who's the best, uh, you know, who's the best microplaner, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need any of that business, you know, like that doesn't really serve us. You know, let's share some tech. Let's share what makes hash better because I love it when I pop something. I'm like, holy shit, what are you doing here? You know, this is different. Um, and I think that's the, that's the cool part of the culture. That's what turns us on, right? Somebody pulled, opens up a bag and it's like, damn, what is that? You know, or, ooh, that takes me back. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't, I don't worry too much about all that, but I, I think we'll be all right. Cool. No, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, man. Um, yeah. Let's, let's take it back a little now, man. You know, I know obviously with P&W Roots, um, like you said earlier, you got a business model you're dealing with regulations, but that wasn't always the case. Right. And the other day I literally burst out laughing for a while when I heard you say that the way that you got into the weed game was with a check that you got from a student loan while you were going to college, you know, you picked up two pounds of Canadian weed. So tell us a little bit more about that, you know, that beginning. Yeah, man, that was that was the beasters. I did. I got I got a grant. It wasn't even a loan. It was a grant. I mean, they give me loan up to for my books, but this was a grant. So I didn't have to pay the fucker back. That's even uh, better. Yeah. And I want to I want to say at that time I paid um, paid. I think the first time I bought a half a pound, it was like eighteen hundred bucks. Um, but it was yeah, man, it was the beasters, and and you know you could get them cheap, and you could you could flip the zips for two hundred, two fifty, you know, and there was local weed too. I you know this was. 
local weed was like, you know, 280 uh, for like the mids locals or like 300, 320 for like, you know, the Irish shit, you know. And that's really what we never saw Canadian or uh, California weed in Washington. There was so much pressure of it coming down from Canada. That was the work. And then everybody was growing in Washington. So that was the local stuff, you know, and. Um, yeah. So let's dive into like, what's, what was some of that local stuff? What was 320? What was the top of the line then? This is like what? 95 ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we actually run uh, some of the freeze, although it's, it's like some bread stuff and we out crossed it and then bred it back. But uh, when I was in high school, you could get the freeze and you could get the reds. And they were basically like two phenos of the same deal. Um, and the shit was just loud. Like, you know, like you couldn't carry it anywhere, but you know, people were smelling it. It was, it was super loud. Um, and, and, and that was, that was like, you know, the good shit. And my favorite, my favorite, uh, was Pez. We would get this Pez and it's not, not the stuff This I guess there's one in California. This, this up here was something different and I have not, not been able to find it. There's a, somebody passed out a bunch of cuts saying it was Pez and it wasn't. So it kind of screwed everything up, but the real one was just great fruity and had beautiful color to it, man. It just got you ripped. It was so good. Um, Shishka berry back in the day was Crips, man. The Shishka berry was ripper. Um, yeah, that was from uh, breeder Steve, I think right up in Canada. Yeah. 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 And breeder Steve's he's, He's all time. He's one of the coolest dudes ever. <laughs> Those Canadian guys, man, they don't get enough credit. Everybody picks on them for the beasters. But like, if you went out to Canada, they had the good weed too. You know what I mean? They were just, they were just shipping out the work. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and I went to college, like, uh, I know we were 45 minutes from the Canadian border and uh, you can drink when you're 19. So, you know, like at 19, we were up there every other weekend and, you know, hanging out and, you know, I mean, that's what you did. You go up there, you drink, you party and, you know, you'd meet the dude and, you know, Oh, you got packs, you know, how, who's getting them where. And, you know, I mean, there, there was all kinds of crazy shit, man. Um, I had a friend whose job was to basically sit on trails with a, with a 50 cow and a night scope like this big and just watch, watch the trail you know, make sure nobody was using it except the right people. And, um, people were bringing stuff over in kayaks and, uh, a buddy of mine had, had the kayak thing flip up and it flooded the deal. And it, he thought the stuff sunk. And then when the helicopter came in to fucking rescue him, it brought the weed back to the top and he got in trouble. And, uh, there was dudes in Birch Bay, like, um, they have these like underwater, you know, like, like in star Wars, right. When they're riding those little, uh, crotch rocket things through the forest the yeah. Ewoks they had things like that but they were for underwater so they put their scuba tanks on and they had packs like the guys would bring the packs out and like sink them and then they'd ride those things out and pick them up and bring them back across like it was it was, it was crazy shit you know um, but it was good times you know and that was kind of like that was you know that's what I really got into and you know we did a little bit of outdoor gorilla growing um, but really it was about, it was about hustling and moving packs and getting stuff to, you know, we were, we were taking stuff from up here down to California. I mean, you know, LA, um, Laguna Niguel, that was like, that was the spot, you know, we were crazy back then. I remember sitting on the pier at Huntington, uh, Huntington beach, the fucking duffel bag, you know, like a dummy man, like 20, 20 packs in this duffel bag waiting for my buddy to meet me down at the beach, you know, just, yeah, we were a little wild. 
you know? <laughs> yeah, really that's like, the, like different times for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that's funny. I mean, that, that Canadian push downwards is always interesting to me and, and not something I really got to talk to many people about. And, you know, I guess you're so North that that was like literally right, right there for you. And, you know, I'm curious, like what other genetics you saw come down from Canada that were interesting to you? Oh man, well, that's, that's kind of what got me looking for the coffee or trying to breed the coffee. I would get this, it's called an Afghani hash plant and it was absolutely crazy. They also had a crazy good blueberry, um, a different blueberry than the one that we run, but they had this really dope uh, indica blueberry that was always hot shit when it came into town. We tried to jump all over that one. Um, but I would get this Afghani hash plant and um, sometimes it, it would come in like ammo boxes and these buds look like just they were the biggest fucking hash plant buds you've ever seen. Like they look, they were the size of like haze bud, like just monsters, but it was this hash plant and it had this crazy smell, this caramely smell. And I love that stuff. That was, that was probably by far my favorite stuff. You know, that one, the Pez and uh, we had some Northern lights up there that, that we had picked up one morning before class. And um, we bought an ounce and it came in two Ziplocs and it was this limey green. Wow. We smoked, we smoked around and literally we're just all laughing. We couldn't even fucking go to class. We were just laughing, rolling, you know? Um, uh, and that was, that was my first experience with the, the Northern lights. It was, yeah, it was killer stuff, you know? And, and again, it's hard to find, you know, those, those old ones, you know, they just don't come back around or they've been lost or, you know, I know when the medical scene came up and a lot of the genetics came from California, people abandoned their stuff for the new hot stuff and you know, it was lost. So big up all the, all the preservationists out there, people that hold on to stuff and take care of it. Shout out Fletch. Yeah, for sure, man. And yeah, the Northern lights is influential and in a weird way it still is. Right. Cause it's in, in a lot of the stuff that I think is run now just somewhere, somewhere in there, but talk to me a little bit more about the, the Afghani hash plant. So you said they were big, they were kind of silvery, did they actually hash? I mean, were you guys hashing at the time or was, or was just the name? No, back, back then we weren't hashing and, and, and I was just moving that stuff as work. But that was, you know, so that Northern Lights, that Pez and that Afghani hash plant, those were like my top three. And uh, I'm still searching for Pez. I got, you got, if you got the Pez out there, call me up. I got a big reward for you if it's the real deal one. Um, and, you know, Northern Lights, um, you know, another one that I just can't seem to find again. I've, I've got some ransom crosses this year from ITAL Foundation. But again, because that one was from Canada, I'd never thought I'd see that Afghani hash plant again. So when I got into breeding, I had picked up, I picked up this, this uh, alien OG. And at the time it had tested like 28% in California. It was the highest testing strain at the time. And I ran it and it was real pretty, um, but it just didn't, it didn't have the terps, you know. And I was doing my breeding project. I had my nine keepers. And then I had this, this extra one, which was the alien OG. And I thought, yeah, maybe I'll throw her in there because I had the alien Kush male that I was going to breed to. And I knew they both had that Afghan lineage. And I thought, ah, maybe I'll get something like that Afghani hash plant. So we, we, I do the breeding. I, I pop all the seeds. I had this really dope test room, you know. And so I had 10 females of that alien OG, alien Kush cross. And, um, they were all just the most crystal laden in the room, but none of them really, uh, 
I didn't think I had the smell was standing out again. But then when I chopped them down, the one was just amazing. And that ended up being the coffee one. And I got it to re-veg. And, you know, it is, it's, it's this super Afghani, OG, funky. It's, it's, it's amazing, you know, and you can see even like the way that it breeds out, you know, the formation of the buds, it really holds true to that, you know. And for me, that's like, that's just my favorite stuff. I love the Afghani. I just love it. I love that caramel note. I love that, that heavy narcotic, you know, like when I hit it, it just relaxes my shoulders. And that's where I really want to feel my weed. I I need, I hold all my tension right there, you know, so I need, I need that kind of medication. And uh, yeah, so shout out Afghanistan. (laughs) Shout out the Kush mountains. (laughs) Shout out all those folks and families, you know, running that stuff up in, in their, in their valleys forever and ever. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing that it, it made it all the way around the world here and, um, you know, we're, we're thriving because of it. So give thanks. Yeah. And I thought that it was cool that, you know, the coffee is basically like a result of you looking for something nostalgic, right? Like that, you call it the sweet, the sweetness in the Afghani. So you know, let's, let's break down that, that coffee a little bit more. You talked about the alien OG. That was your female, correct? Yeah. Yes, correct. And then your Indian Kush uh, has kind of an interesting story, which I heard a little bit about the other day. Can you give us a little bit more kind of backstory to that? Yeah. So the, the both of those, the, 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 they're, they're actually kind of related. So the, the alien OG utilized alien technology and Tahoe OG. And then the alien Kush is the alien technology or the alien Kush is the alien technology crossed with Las Vegas purple Kush. So, you know, they, they both shared a, a, a common relative there. So it's not really, coffee isn't really even like a true F1, but they, they both had that, that Afghani lineage in them. And, you know, sometimes when you, when you, put something together like that, you know, you, you can, you can find something in there that's really good. And, uh, you know, we got blessed with it. So. Yeah, that's cool. You know, one of the interesting things is that I heard you say that you actually didn't really care necessarily for either of the parents. Right. But you still mashed them together looking for something different. So talk about that as, someone who's been, you know, breeding for some years now as well. Like when you throw things together, what can happen? And, and how dependent is that on like what stage of stability it's at, if we can call it that, the F1, F2, and maybe even break down what, what that means, you know? Sure, sure. So, yeah, um, you know, you're looking for outliers. Uh, if, if you take a true F1 and breed it to a, a, another true F1. So, so two, two plants that are completely unrelated, uh, you're generally going to get 25% that would lean towards the father, 25% towards the mother, and then a 50% shotgun spread of kind of like an intermixing of the two. So I, I didn't like so much the alien OG female, the mom, and I had the sister to the male that I was breeding with, but I knew that there could be some recessive stuff in there. Right. And so you cross those and, and you're not really looking for that 50% spread. You're looking for an outlier. You're looking for something that's way over here. You know, that genetics that, that, that's, that's hidden in there. 
You know what I mean? If, if you breed the same thing, but you got a grandparent back here that's something different, most of these are going to show up this way, but you might hit that grandparent link. Um, and that's what I was trying to, to find. Um, when you talk about F generations, so F is filial. So you're talking about breeding brothers and sisters. So you'd have your parents, right? And you breed them. That's your generation one, filial generation one. If you selected a boy and a girl from that or multiple and bred them together, that would be filial generation two. So if you just pick one and one, that would be considered narrowing. Okay. If you pick, leave them, let them all go. That's like open pollination. I like to maybe open pollinate, but cull out some of the boys that I don't like any non you know, things that I don't desire, things that look funny, whatever it is, yank those out. So you might have two or three boys or, you know, but a, a smaller number. And then for the females, you can kind of let them all run and then don't harvest the seeds from the ones that you don't like. But the ones that you, you think are the best ones, you can pick those. And that would be a good open pollination, right? And now your next generation, you're going to have like a crazy look. You're going to see even more variety, right? And then at, at whatever point that you, you deem you found whatever you're looking for, right? When you found that, that recessive thing that you're looking for, then you can start to, to be refining with your selections and just use that one female. And then find, find the male that you think corresponds to it, you know, based on whatever your methodology is and, and narrow that down. And we can use whatever methodology we want to select that male, but in actuality, you don't know what it's going to do until you cross them and then view the progeny. So, you know, sometimes you have to go back because it didn't work and select a new one. Um, when I bred coffee breath, like it took three males before I got seeds to take on that one for some reason, you know, it was difficult. Um, so sometimes you have to take steps back to go forward. But once you find those, those traits that you're looking for, you can always refine those and narrow them down. And then once you do that enough times, then you're bred in uniformity. So say I, I, I open up my selection, I find the recessives I want, I start to narrow them down. And then I, you know, once I'm narrowing them down, right, I'm picking the same, same, and I'm, and I'm breeding those. And then, then you're getting more uniformity. I also do a practice called back crossing. So where I take the, the original one, I breed it out, get the baby, pick a male, breed it back to mom, breed it out, pick a male, bring it back to mom. And what I'm doing now is I'm stacking the genetic for mom. So whatever mom has after a certain amount of times, it's going to be that. So um, that's where we get the coffee cubed. It's back crossed four times. And I ran a whole bunch outside this year. And it was just, it's really awesome to see, you know, like, wow, they all look <laughs> the same. It's crazy, you know, and that provides a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, there's also dangers here when you do that, right? Because you can, when you're line breeding, you can accentuate the good and the bad, right? So once you put those together, you could be you could be focusing and and that's where you got to kind of be careful in your selections as well because you could be accentuating those bad traits as well as the good traits um you know if there's if there's any kind of hermaphroditic or any kind of traits that you don't like you know maybe it's orange hairs or whatever it is susceptible to pm or something you know you could be accentuating that and making a weaker a weaker form of the plant too so you, you got to be careful with your selections yeah, and you come from an interesting background when it comes to breeding. Like your father was a breeder of, of sorts, right? Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a world famous gamefowl breeder. So um, we grew up with uh, man, we had hundreds and hundreds of uh, battlecocks in our front yard. 
you know, little teepees and, and uh, birds on, on lines. And uh, at one point we had a, a big, a big, uh, big cockfighting arena with movie theater seats up three sides. And, um, you know, he was, he was heavy into it, you know, and it's really kind of a, a, a bit of a different thing, but, you know, also very, uh, very meticulous in what you had to do, you know, and uh, he would, he had, he had certain old school lines and you could buy his crosses, but he would never give you the original lines and he would give you, you could buy breeding trios. Um, when we, when we get the babies, he would hole punch. So you put different punches between the deals to, to determine um, what the breed was. So you could keep track of them as they got older. It was really interesting, you know, and, and we also hunted. So we also had a, a whole bunch of uh, Tennessee Walker hounds and, um, black and tans and we hunted raccoons and bobcats and cougars and bears i grew up eating bear that was kind of like we didn't eat hamburger we ate bear burger um and so you know breeding the dogs and training the dogs was you know just part of kind of how i grew up so you know my dad always said uh once you get chicken shit under your fingernail it's hard to get out and uh you know what he meant by that was just that you know once you get into it you know it's it's kind of addicting you know just like cannabis isn't addicting but, but breeding is, or growing is, you know, you get kind of tapped into something and, 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 and it's exciting. It's fun to do. I mean, the first time I did a breeding project and I got to see how this male intermixed with all these different, you know, females that I, you know, I ran these girls for a long time. These were like my, my elites. This was my shit. You know, this was a time where like nowadays it's like, ah, oh, pass them. I got them. Who get, you know, back then there was none of that. You didn't know, you know. You know what I mean? You wasn't getting on you and talking to nobody. So when you had stuff in your thing, like those were special, you know, and to see what, how this male could transform those, you know, and, and some of the genetics we bred were like, you know, old and like outdated and it brought them back to life, you know, gave them a new sparkle, a new, you know, things that were dudding out or, or just tired, you know, it brought them back to life, new vigor, you know, and when you think about it, that's, that's kind of essential, right? To the whole life thing, you know, um, we shouldn't just be cloning plants over and over again. <laughs> um, we should be breeding them to rejuvenate them, you know, and, and people are into the tissue culture thing. And I, I think it's really cool and I've participated, but I also think that breeding, that's the way you regenerate plants. That's if you breed something, you've got those genetics locked in there. You just got to go find them, you know, um, and, and knowing that now I, I don't, I don't stress so much about losing stuff because I've got seed of everything. So I know I can go back and I can find something, maybe something better, you know? So that's, uh, that's kind of cool. And if you're out there listening, pop some seeds, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be scared of boys. You know, it's really easy to, to pick them out. You get plenty of time to deal with them. It's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not as difficult as you might imagine. So dive in. Yeah, so, you know, I'm curious, like, with such an interesting kind of diverse background in breeding from a young age, looking at it at a different perspective, and now as a cannabis breeder, like, what does it mean to be a breeder? Um, you know, for me, for me, and I had a mentor that got me into it, you know, I, and again, I, I got to experience all that with my dad, and then uh, my mentor, Mel Limonhoko. He, he really had a heart to heart with me and explained to me, you know, my responsibilities and, you know, I, I take that very seriously, you know, uh, 
people are buying my stuff. They're, they're, they're putting it out there. That's, that's somebody's livelihood, you know? So I have a responsibility to make sure that I'm not just, uh, you know, being careless with that. And, uh, I think as far as the plant is concerned, you know, same way, you know, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be making good selections and, and making sure that the selections that I make are good and being responsible with that. You know, there's been plenty of times where I've made stuff and it didn't make the cut and I, I, I fed it to my chickens. And, and I think that that's, you know, that's, that's your responsibility. You know, I mean, I, I, some people don't take it that way. Some people just want to put it out there and that's okay too. Um, I'm not trying to knock that, but, um, you know, think about, think about animals, right? You got, you got people who breed dogs, you got puppy mills, right? Puppy mills, they cross whatever, whatever, whatever the hottest thing is. And they just put it out there. And, um, some of those animals suffer from that, you know, and the people that are, are getting them and expecting to get this healthy little thing, they get, they get issues. And I wouldn't want that on my conscience, you know? And I'm not, I'm not in it for the short game. So long game for me is, you know, be working these lines, you know, do, you can do fancy crosses. You can respond to the market's needs and, and do that kind of stuff. You know, I haven't done a coffee runs cross, but it might be coming. <laughs> um, but, you know, like it's my responsibility to be doing the back crossing and, and making sure that at some point I'm able to put out genetics that are better than what I brought in, not the other way around. Yeah, you brought up the term or like the phrase changing the plant for the better a few times in some of the videos that I saw you talking. I found that kind of as an interesting way to to approach breeding, right? Is is to look at it uh, as an advancement for the plant and not necessarily for yourself. Right, because uh, another thing you said was that Lemon Hoko's advice to you, or part of the thing was that like you're only on this planet or living for so long, right? So, I, yeah, I think I think I think what he was what he was what he was trying to impress upon me was that you only have so much time, so you have to really be focused on what your effort is. You know, you're you're not going to be able to do unlimited projects and if you really want to accomplish something with a plant then you really have to focus on that and you have to be doing the line work and, and doing that stuff i mean it, it again if you want to be a puppy mill and make a bunch of money selling puppies go do that if if you want to be a, a a dog breeder and you want to make dogs that are better and healthier and that serve people better that's a different thing you know, and that's what I want to do with my cannabis breeding is I want, I want, I want, I want to have something at the end of the day that is better medicine, easier to grow, makes great hash, you know, whatever it, whatever it might be for that particular focus or that particular breeding, you know, let's do it right. Let's look at it with our own eyes and, and let's make a judgment on it. And, and then, you know, let's put it out there. And it's not just for the plant. I mean, it's for us too. It's, it's a symbiotic relationship. You know, it, it, the plant is going to choose fiber. The plant is not going to select for resin. The plant in nature is going to go back to fiber. It's going to go to a different thing. But, you know, I, I think that it's, it's got a different place when it's, when it's paired with man 
you know, and, and I think that is when it's, it's, it's true identity is revealed and that's, that's where we're, we're involved in it and we're supposed to be paying attention to the thing and, um, you know, being stewards of it again, being good stewards of it. I mean, can you imagine a world where you can't pop a seed because they're all hermaphrodites? I mean, wouldn't that suck, you know, right? or 50% of them or half or whatever it is, you know, like don't put that shit out there, you know, <laughs> like let's, let's do something, you know, and every year I get, as this market expands, I get more people calling for different seeds and some of the stuff that they want don't have, it doesn't exist. You don't want to tell them that it doesn't exist right now for where you're at, but let's develop a program and you can start breeding on your property and develop it and make the right selections. And in two years, you're going to have exactly what you want right now. I can give you something that might fit the bill close. I best guess, you know, but, um, that's, that's kind of where that really, those two things really meet is, you know, the needs of this expanding market are, are calling for all kinds of specialized stuff and seeds that do well in this climate or that climate or for this oil or for that, medicine or you know so um <clears throat> if we're all just making runs crosses that's not going to work you know? <laughs> i'm banking on runs i don't i don't know <laughs> i don't mean to it's just you know right before you put out the runs coffee cup yeah <laughs> right coming <laughs> soon <laughs> and how much does intuition play in all this in doing all that You know, intuition to me is, uh, it's kind of a special thing and, and not something that I, I, you know, throw around, um, I teach my kids about intuition. We talk about it, you know, how the animals know things, um, why they make certain moves, how a mama takes care of her babies. You know, um, my intuition has saved my life numerous times, kept me out of trouble. Um, so you really gotta, you gotta listen to your, your inner your inner voice and that no matter what you're doing, you know, as it pertains to cannabis, you know, we've got a lot of senses, um, you know, so I can, I can look, I can smell, I'm, I'm growing it and I'm hashing it. So I've got, I've got optimal hands on, um, you know, experience with this, with this plant, whatever plant it is. And, and so I'm, I'm able to glean a lot of information from that. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit of it is intuitive, you know, but, um, you know, I, I think that, that it has its place, you know, but we, we've got senses to work with and stuff with the plant, you know, um, but, but I always trust my gut. If something tells me like, this is going to be a good one, but that is not, you know, I, I, I might go with that, you know, but usually my nose tells me what I need to know when it, when it comes to the plants, you know, but, um, you know, it, 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 following my intuition allowed me to stay in the game. It allowed me to maneuver in ways that I didn't think were possible before. You know, we talked about it uh, beforehand about, you know, following your heart and, and where that leads you, you know, and that, that was some of your intuition, right? So uh, it's, it's definitely a guiding force in, in, in eye journey. And uh, I, I think it's, it's be wise for everyone to tune into that, that internal uh, intuition. Yeah, I agree, man. I think this is a good opportunity for us to take a smoke break. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. <laughs> I wanted to take another opportunity to thank our community on Patreon for allowing us to produce episode 23 with Kaya from PW Roots. 
and to give a shout out to some of our top contributors, including Terp Wizard in Michigan, Joe Itza from Long Island Courts, Preston Foshow on the Big Island in Hawaii, Kush Creams in Washington, Sunday Melts in Connecticut, Lord Zipper in Massachusetts, Mikey from MTS Farm in Pennsylvania, Alec in Los Angeles, Spencer in Washington, Haji aka Solvent Miss Terps, Adam the homie from Mission Hill Melts in Massachusetts, James the casual cultivator, the American hash breakers in Washington, our friend Gendo420, Lost Roots Hash in Oklahoma, Totem Solventless in California, Monchu Gardens in Denver, Kevin from Lifted in Dina, Kyle the Full Mill Fiend, and the homies Daniel, Nate, Mario, and Big C. I thank each and every one of you, and now back to the episode. All right, so you know we've talked about breeding. I always like to talk about things that I feel people are doing kind of unique. So let's talk about your hashers, you know, because obviously people listening are probably into hash. And so talk about some of the ones that you, that you like that stand out and that are different because I know you have some that are, let's call them sativa ish type hashes. And that's not a very common thing. So what's that all about? What, what are you trying to bring to the market? Okay, so we've been running uh, this Pinkleberry from Green Source, and we like it because it finishes super early, um, and it makes really incredible purple hash. It's got kind of a unique terpene profile. <clears throat> That's pretty a pretty interesting one because of, of the purpleness of the hash. You know, when you look at it through the scope, um, the whole trichome, you know, top to bottom is purples, and it's really, really stunning to look at. Um, so that's, that's kind of a fun one. And, uh, you know, when you, interestingly enough, when you, when you press it, it leaves that purple behind. So instead of pressing it this round, we released that, uh, just so people could have that experience of seeing the purple hash and, and, and getting to, getting to experience that. So that's kind of a cool one that we have. Uh, we just picked up and ran this, this year, um, Santa Cruz pink lemonade and, uh, just got done washing that, uh, Tuesday and uh, it, it made some really beautiful like pink colored hash uh, again really really cool color to it um, crazy unique smell um, still haven't quite decided how to describe it like it was it's really exciting and uh, the yields on it were pretty massive so I got that one was gifted to me from uh, my brethren Paka down there in, uh, in Mendocino <clears throat> Malama the Roots guys so that's a that's a fun one that we're playing with and then uh stuff that that we have that you know most folks don't have uh you know the coffee coffee breath number 22 which is a a, a really killer hasher as far as the sativa goes i, I know which one you're, you're you're thinking of and uh it's a super special plant and we actually had lost her recently and uh just now getting her back but is a og ghost strain haze and uh, originally, <clears throat> that plant was held by Goat, Goat Organics, at Goat Organics, and, uh, and super cool cat. And he's shared a lot of his uh, hash tech with me over the years. And 
really been a good friend and he won a couple um of the high times hash cups up here in washington i think he's undefeated actually with that plant uh just an incredible terp and uh again it's a sativa plant it wants to go like 12 weeks um and you're catching it more in the smaller microns but man it's just the craziest stone and like that screaming like a yellow or a lemon but like like a little bit like a cat piss kind of on top of it just a, a crazy flavor for hash so yeah. We, yeah we really like that one yeah that's you're having that yeah we were just talking about that and that's funny because like i didn't piece all those things together so yeah i've heard from go about go from ozzy because i didn't you know know much about the washington scene and i definitely <laughs> talked to him and you know i haven't repped anybody from washington so I'm glad to have you on, but yeah, I, I love to talk to other people and see what was going on. But that ghost train haze, uh, I picked up from your booth at the Emerald cup in rosin form. I think if we were saying probably 2016 is when I think it was, you know, so uh, just kind of funny to think that it, it came from goat and, and, um, it had won so many cups, but so you're saying that you got that back now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're pretty stoked to put that one back in the rotation. We just got the GMO. Uh, we actually ran the GMO this summer, but the Vols, the Vols really liked the GMO, and they kind of had their way with it. So that, that kind of sucked, but uh, we'll run that one again. And um, what else we got in there? I'm trying to think of my little list now. So our two, like, the ones we're smashing with right now, is the Hammer Hammer, which is this uh, nine-pound hammer from Jinx Proof. And then we crossed that with the Platinum Alien OG that, that, uh, that we made. And this plant is, is just amazing. It crushes it. And nine-weeker, beautiful purple flowers, you know, really nice yield. And it's kicked back like five and a half, six percent. It's just a solid, solid plant, and it's got this really, really OG with a slight lemon in there, and it's just, it's a, it's a super strong hash. You know, end of the night, that's that's what, uh, that's what I was just enjoying. In fact, uh, yeah, yeah, the hammer, hammer, it's the one. Uh, and then the other one, which seems to be like the super favorite, we're calling the strawberry yogurt. And the strawberry yogurt, our buddy had found a bag seed and some strawberry Kush. And he passed the cut to uh, our partner Phil. Uh, shout out Roots Crew. Shout out the Bearded Kraken. Those are uh, those are my guys out there running the farm, holding it down. You know, doing doing the heavy lifting. Uh, we called uh, Bearded Kraken the Human Tractor. But uh, yeah, so so Phil's Phil's buddy gifted him this cut, and they were running it for flour, and and Phil's friend was running it for oil, and. So they get this greenhouse up and, you know, like this is our first year. So we're just like stuffing whatever we can in there, right? Like just get it going. And we get to the end of the season and I'm in there checking out the plants and I'm touching it. And I'm like, man, this one's really greasy. I don't know, like this might be too greasy. And, you know, like we'd smoke joints of it, right? And it, it tastes great all the way through. And usually those kind of plants that have that, that secondary terpene, they're not the best hasher. Usually the monoterps do better. Anyways. I get to wash a bunch of this material and it just dumps. 
just absolutely dumps and the hash comes out like this super duper white color and so we've been we've been putting that one out that was like probably we grew the most of that this year so there's about a, a wave of that is about to hit the washington market you know ask around where on the street is that's the one <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, yeah. It's, a good one. It's, it's got it's got definitive strawberry terps and this this yogurty cheesy you know background to it that just yeah it's it's awesome you know and it's a heavy hitter it's not it's not a subtle stone at all yeah and that's and that's a hybrid you know it's it's kind of it's got a it's got a cool little deal there and then fog which is uh that that freeze strain um so phil had had shepherded that clone from high school all the way through and he was like the last of the homies to have it and he, he outcrossed it to his triple threat and then he back crossed it five times and then he started f genning it and then i think f3 he he did some out crosses and and one of them was to an og kush and that that one we call the fog and the fog again beautiful plant incredible structure you know it's just a ripper and um you know hits that that five percent threshold and puts out this really crazy for me the effects of the fog are just like nothing else it's got a little bit of like some psychedelic stuff, a little bit of psychedelic effects, you know, like uh, it affects colors for me, you know, and like my, my time seems to be a little bit off when I'm, when I'm, when I'm enjoying that one. So yeah, the fog's a good one too. So yeah, we got, we got a good little library. We got some secret stuff coming up. We had some, some gifts that uh, made it their way to our hands. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could share quite yet what they are, but uh, we're going to run them and test them and make sure that, that, that it is what it is. And but we got some new flavors coming for the new year. I'll say that. <laughs> Our boy, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Kush family, um, Josh D, but the homie up here in Washington, uh, Ghost OG, the original Ghost OG uh, from the Kush family. He's uh, He's got some crazy stuff over there, some banana stuff and... Uh, he shared some of that stuff with us and it's uh it, it makes incredible hash so we'll be bringing that to the market along with his seeds soon so that's kind of cool very cool yeah i've seen you've been collaborating with some people in a way it seems like yeah you know and and ghosts you know like uh our families go way back you know um back to the chicken game and stuff so um he lives out here on the peninsula with us and it's it's really wild to see you know there's so many there's 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 really cool glass artists all around us and um it's a it's a cool little spot to be in you know and to be able to share these kind of genetics you know um exotic mike is is right out here um dungeon vault in-house um you know we've got some really cool breeders you know so it's cool to be able to share in that you know you were talking about the hash guys you know the hash guys in washington at the end of the medical scene it was really awesome. You know, some of these guys, you know, polar ice and, um, and the goat was doing his thing and voodoo voodoo now works with the uh, tree hawk farms. Um, uh, dank czar, you know, there was, there was some guys out here really, you know, putting out a lot of hash and, uh, it's, it's cool to see him still around and, 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 you know, the game in Washington, there's a lot of new companies trying to make hash. Like in the last six months, it's like, what in the heck? <laughs> you thought the seed game was crazy. 
<laughs> I got people calling, like cold calling me, like, can we buy material? I'm like, what? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you brought up uh, something interesting in like this flavor translation, right? From growing and that terpene profile not only matching what you're smelling, but what you're tasting when you're smoking it. And you brought up the idea that, you know, there's obviously like a difference in terpenes, right? And you feel like the hashers, uh, the monoterpenes are more like representative <laughs> of those strains, right? Or like those are the ones that would typically do better in water hash. So. Right. As a breeder and as a grower, do you see yourself as someone who's like focused on the resin and the resin production from the plants? Or is it just like one of those things where it's like a really good one, the nose is good, the structure matches the hash plant uh, and it just works. And then, but you also are breeding towards flower. Like, are you breeding specifically towards Tash? Or? Yeah, at, at this point, at this point, we're absolutely doing like specific breedings. I mean, I've, I've done, I've done breedings that were, you know, Hey, we're going to do all the sativa stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make good matches, but yeah, absolutely. We're trying to pick some menus that are, that are basically just based off of taking our best hashers, hitting them with our, you know, coffee or, you know, and, and working that line that way. Um, so that's, that's absolutely an, an idea that we're, we're working down. Um, especially because it fits our model, you know, and we we're popping a lot of seeds to fill up our field and it's cool because then you can get a look at those, those seeds. You know, we ran a couple rows, so like, like three or 400 plants of, um, one of the strawberry crosses. And, uh, we did a chocolate tie cross with the, a red crossed with the glue. So, you know, trying to, and sometimes they combine well and sometimes they don't. Um, you know, the, the chocolate tie ones, they look pretty good, but they didn't, they just didn't have the right terpenes, you know? Right. It, so it's got to check all boxes, you know, basically, or it just doesn't have room. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure those are hard to find. Like they don't come along all the time. They don't. That's 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 why when you when you get them, you got to take care of them, <laughs> back them up, give them to a friend. Yeah. So but, you know when you when you when you have a lot of seed, you can go back and look through it, and and not having any limitations on how many plants we can have. You know, we we popped a lot of seed this year, so we got to look at a lot of different stuff, and we've got friends doing other farms. You know, popping similar kind of stuff, and and reporting back and sharing Dutch blooms shared a whole bunch of his stuff that we got to wash and get some, get some Intel on. And, um, you know, it's a learning process. Again, what we want doesn't quite exist yet. You know, we're, we're working on it. We got pieces of the puzzle, but we're not quite there where we have it all. Cool. Let's talk about growing. And I know you're like, you brought it up earlier. The regenerative style is kind of what you're going uh, for now. And, but I've also heard you talk about when you first started growing, you were doing the hydro setup and that was kind of a common thing, right? And so how has that 
transition been? Oh, it's been easy. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I like, it was nice uh, when we had the, the hydro systems, they were, they were clean and efficient and you could get huge yields. But, you know, the terpenes just were not the same. You know, you can, you can always taste when somebody's feeding that kind of stuff. You know, and I think maybe the, the formulas are getting better, whatever, but, but still, uh, you know, you can taste it, you can smell it in the end, in the end product. So for me, I, I just wanted to get away from that. And I, I think that it, it just makes, you know, our Hugo beds this year outperformed even um, the raised beds in the, in the, in the more climate controlled environment. So um, there's something to letting nature do that work when the plants are creating terpenes you know it might not make the prettiest flower it might not they, the flowers aren't going to get quite as bulked up maybe um although I, I wouldn't say that they won't you know i mean this is year one in our hugo bed so as as we get more years into it the hugo bed will perform better um and the flowers look great but i'm just saying you know it's like it's like having a, a somebody that's on steroids you know what i mean they look they're big they're pumped up you know what I mean? Versus somebody who's just naturally fit and healthy. You know, um, I, I want something that's just naturally fit and healthy. To me, that's that's where it's that's where it's really at. And um, you know, I don't think anybody can really argue. Uh, like, there's really no argument or debate on the terpene profile, right? Like, organics taste better. Period. You know, and if you're not feeding anything, that's that's the ultimate. You know, if you're not spraying stuff on it obviously. So, uh, you know, the transition for me, it, it's, it, it was, it was, it was pretty easy because I found, I found good recipes for soil and I found soil to be way more forgiving than hydroponics. You know, in hydroponics, if you make a mistake, you're done. It's toast. You know, I mean, you can try to rinse stuff or do whatever, but you know, it, it'll, it happens very quick in hydroponics. So you really got to be on top of your game if you're if you're doing that kind of system, but but the soil is is a lot more forgiving, and uh, for me it's been a journey of you know learning and understanding how the soil works, and then I figure out more how my stomach works and the correlation of those microorganisms and these microorganisms and how different foods have nutrient density because of those microorganisms and some plants don't hydroponics. Um, so, you know, you want nutrient dense stuff. That's what, that's what you want to consume. So for me, it's, it's, it's been a really cool learning transition, not just from cannabis aspect, but then that translate into, you know, Hey, let's grow our own food and let's grow it this way. And, you know, we, we don't have the issues, man. We just don't have the issues with, with pathogens and stuff this year, it was, it was crazy. The plants were so healthy and so strong, you know, and I think that that's just, that's, that's, that's a good way to go about it, especially when you're using the seeds, the seeds, the seeds were even stronger than the clones, you know, and I find that pretty much every time there's something that happens when that, that seedling has got a little extra something in it, you know? Yeah. And you talked about like having density of nutrients in these plants whether it's cannabis or not how do you achieve that where does that start obviously in the soil 
Yeah. So, so this is, this is where I, I, I learned this. I was, I was at the training course and Chris Trump was talking about, they had these universities in South Korea and they had done these studies and they basically had food that was grown uh, hydroponically and then like conventional ag, you know, and then they had like organics and then they had organics with Korean natural farming, essentially a shit ton of the, the IMOs, the indigenous microorganisms. Okay. And then they, then they went back and they tested all the food for nutrient density. They got this, this, these different labs over there. They can test the nutrient density in the food. And they found that the organics and the conventional farmings, they basically had very low levels. And, and you know, you're like, you'd have to eat 10 of those carrots to get the nutrient density in one of the carrots that was grown with living soil. I mean, like, Wow, right? That's that's crazy. Which one do you do you want to eat 10 carrots? Or do you want to eat the one, right? And 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 then then you go down this path of if you're eating these other things and they've been sprayed with something that kills the microbes and you ingest it, now it kills your microbes. Now it doesn't matter if you're eating the nutrient-dense one or not because you don't have the microbes to break it down. Right? And this is all the same for your soil, by the way. Same language, same, same, same. So then you realize, okay, I got to cut that out and I have to go to this kind of diet and I have to have a different food source. I can't eat processed foods. I can't, you know, like, I guess there's a time when you might have to, you know, it's, it's not like a judgment thing, but like if, if you're really paying attention and you want to take care of yourself and, and live healthy, that's what you got to do. You know, that, that nutrient density is where it's at, you know. And, and we've created these, these food systems for profit, not for your health or my health, you know? And that's why if you eat a tomato from my garden, it tastes all kinds of crazy good. And if you taste one from the store, it, it tastes like cardboard, you know? Uh, that's, that's the difference is that those microbes, the nutrient density, it's, it's how the plant uptakes its nutrients. You know, yeah, and that and, makes sense when you correlate that to you saying that <clears throat> the terpenes of those plants in living soil you feel like is uncomparable to growing it in a medium like hydro. Oh yeah, I I I wouldn't even entertain a discussion about it. I mean, if you got a nose, you know, and. I'm always curious some people's opinion on this since you are, you're doing some greenhouse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Indoor as well. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Your take on sun growing resin versus indoor lighting. Well, I mean, listen, if, if you're, if you're out in, in, in the elements, you know, your plant's going to be exposed more to things. So having some kind of uh, protection or coverage on it is, is vital. You know, and, and dust is the enemy of hash. So you got to have cover crops everywhere. You know, like at our farm, you can't drive in the beaten path in the summertime. You got to drive on the grass. <laughs> it's a rule. So um, that's, that's super important. But, you know, the, the indoor hash, it's just always going to be a little bit cleaner for that purpose or for that reason. You know, even if you're in a greenhouse, you're exchanging air. I don't, I don't, I mean, you got filters on them, but it's still, it's just not quite as clean as the indoor scenario. 
um, and I get great yields off the indoor stuff. Sometimes the outdoor stuff, it, you know, it's not making it as long. Um, so you got to pull it down a little early, whereas indoor, you just never have that problem. So there's, there's pros and cons, you know, to different sides of it. But I can say without a doubt, you know, this year having pulled material from our same spot, right, single source here, from our indoor, from our light depth greenhouse, from our Hugel bed greenhouse, and from our yard, the stuff in the Hugel beds was was the best. It 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 was the terpiest, and and it just yielded the most. It's it's amazing stuff. We're all just kind of like, and this was first year on it, you know. And and I've grown in Hugel beds here at at my spot, and and had good results. But we've never done it on scale and been able to see, you know what we're seeing it's uh it's awesome you know i think kirk kush would agree <laughs> yeah for sure i funny enough i just talked to him today but uh the hugo beds for people that may not be familiar are supposed to in essence yeah. get better over time and you're not doing anything outside of maybe watering yeah yeah absolutely i mean you put the cover crop on there and, and tend it you know, but yeah, once you, once you set it up, you've done all the work, you know, it, it takes a bit of work to set it up. You've got to, you've got to pull in the right elements and make your lasagna and, and lay it all out there. Um, and you know, you can use, you know, we've used some K and F inputs on it, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, I gave it a kick up of, uh, the FAA in the beginning. Um, we didn't use any finishing stuff on it, but I'm making some, so we'll have some finishing agents for next year, but you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to use KNF stuff on it, but maybe the first couple of years. But after that, it should be fine for 10, 15 years. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a long time. Like you said, it may take some uh, or a lot of work up front, but definitely sounds worth it in, in the end, uh, you know, in many senses. And well, you know, for first year we, we had, we were in the, the light depth. And again, we had to work with what we had. So we, we used the dirt that was on site and they had left behind a bunch of smart pots and we piled them in and, and used some top dress amendments. And it was a lot of labor watering and, you know, putting in the beds this year, you know, you just didn't have to water the buggers, you know, it was like, Hey, it's been 10 days. You think we should water them, you know, and they're in there praying and it's like, no, leave them alone. You know, <laughs> like, uh, they're just ripping. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, what farmer doesn't want to have that time? You know, that allowed us to do a lot of other things on the farm and, and make great advances. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, huge, I'm a huge proponent. <laughs> so if you got a little space, you know, it doesn't take a lot. If you're, even if you're just doing something small, put a little wood down in the bottom, go get some, some duff from your forest floor and, and you know, get some, get some inoculum and, and get going, you know. A little manure in there, maybe some avocados. <laughs> yeah, I heard you talk about that avocado tech the other day. Um, but you know, something that I found really interesting was you talking about all this that we're talking about. You know, the the density of the nutrients in the plant, and but how that actually you feel translate into the material holding up better during the wash. Right. Yeah. So what, what I was basically saying is, is if you've got a healthy plant, you know, and, and, and its cell structure is strong, 
it's going to hold up better in that wash, right? Because it's in there getting getting beat up, right? I mean, you if you've washed something that's premature, right, your water goes greener faster. You wash wash a plant that's sick, your water's going to go greener faster. If you're washing plants that are super healthy and they've got they've got strong cell walls, it's going to hold up a lot better in that environment and let you reap your rewards before it finally gives out in the water and uh, starts turning your your junk green, you know. So, so that's, that's super important. And, and I think that having that nutrient density is, is, you know, part and parcel to it, you know, and, and then the terpenes, right? So if you've ever listened to Dr. Ethan Rousseau explain how terpenes are the, the plants, you know, communication signals, right. And they're making these, these recipes and, and they make the recipes with these ingredients, right. And where you're sourcing your ingredients is important, right? So if you're sourcing your ingredients from General Hydro, what are you going to smell like? You know, if you're sourcing your ingredients from McDonald's every night, uh, what, what are you going to smell like? If you're sourcing your ingredients from your backyard, you know, if you've got, if you've got stuff from the forest, if you've got, you know what I mean? You're, you're entering a different realm of, of capabilities of expression for that plant. You know, and that plant is going to be able to put it together in, in the way that it wants to. Right? I mean, we don't have any control over that, you know, and if I've grown plants in different environments with different inputs, and I can absolutely tell you that what you feed it is going to have an influence over its expression, right? The environment, all of it. So um, it, it only goes to reason that if, if, you're, if you're allowing the plant to pull the highest grade ingredients, through through microbial exchange not by you know a nutrient film deal that's you know playing games with the you know the ions and like it's just like a whole different thing right like the plant's going to respond it's a living organism you know how would you respond you know so that's that's kind of that's my understanding of it you know and and my experience with it and I, i again i think that the hugo stuff this year Oh man, this hash is good. <laughs> well, it's, it's really good. It's real good. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. I, I appreciate you sharing your, your thoughts with us, you know. This could be a good time for a quick second smoke break. All right. You know, everyone has their preference. Some people prefer rosin, some people prefer resin, some people like a certain consistency of rosin. Thankfully, as a hash maker, no matter what you're trying to achieve, Rosin Evolution can help you get there. Visit them at rosinevolution.com or on Instagram, rosinevolution100. Even if you're a rosin-only person, unless you're pressing flour, you'll still need to isolate the resin. And for that, you'll need a good filtration system, aka wash bags. Rosin Evolution makes their full mesh wash bags out of the same food grade material that their screens are made out of. Rosin Evolution screens are trusted by hash makers to be accurate, meaning that their bags are also accurate. Again, their design is full mesh, making them lightweight and flexible. It gives you a large surface area for sieving water and resin, reducing the strain that you put at the bottom of the bag, and more importantly, to reduce the strain on your back. The price is literally unbeatable. If you want to save an additional 5%, 
use our savings code, the letters THI, the number 710, all together. THI710 saves you 5% with Rosin Evolution. You've heard it on here time and time again. If your starting material isn't fire, there's no bag that can make that better. But with some proper starting material, you don't need the fanciest bag in the world to make great hash or rosin. Just solid, accurate bags, which is what Rosin Evolution brings you. Again, save 5% on your entire order by using the letters THI, the number 710 all together at rosinevolution.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the episode. I heard you talking about using your friend's walk-in freezer, a chef. That was kind of like your beginnings in uh, water making hash or at least processing at a, at a higher level. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Uh, yeah, so eventually I, I built out a, a garage, so I had something closer to home. But, you know, I, when I first was making hash, we were just making it out on the deck and, you know, you'd, you'd kind of wait for a cold night and then you do it uh, outside in the dark. And um, it, it wasn't the greatest deal. You know, you're making a lot of noise and usually you're at, at a spot that probably didn't need all the extra noise. So, um, but yeah, you know, once, once things started elevating and, and people were stepping up their game and stuff, I, I hit up my buddy who, um, you know, he was, he was into the herbs, the generous chef, um, at the generous chef. And, uh, I, I've known him since college and <clears throat> he was running some restaurants up in Seattle. And I said, Hey man, you know, you got an extra walk-in that I could use. And he said, actually the, the one next door is totally empty. Um, come on up. And so I packed my material and I went up there and this, uh, I got a video of it. Um, but this walk-in, it was crazy because it was in the basement of this club. Okay. And it was like a bar thing down there. And the walk-in was actually lined with mirrors, little teeny mirrors. So it was like, and it, it was like disco in there. Right. And it was super cold. And, uh, and I had washed there. I actually, actually used the space like three times. Uh, one of the times, uh, voodoo melts, dropped in and, and hung out with me and uh you know it was it was gnarly man it was it was in pioneer square downtown seattle you know there was there was crackheads in the alley there was rats downstairs in the building uh um <laughs> you know i cleaned up the the walk-in and, and that was my spot you know what i mean it was really nice and and uh i couldn't really make too much of a watery mess you know my process now was like it's, it's a, it's water everywhere. Um, but back then, you know, it was like, it was more controlled and, uh, but I'd wash all night. I'd get up there like at midnight, you know, 1130 when everybody had left the restaurants and, and all the, uh, prep and everybody had left and, uh, he'd let me in the back door and, uh, I'd pray nobody broke into my truck while I was in there working. And, I'd come out at like, you know, five thirty, six in the morning, you know, and the sun's coming up and I would load up all the trays of hash in the back seat and, um, cruise home, you know, and God bless my wife for putting up with it. You know, she's like, wait a minute, you were out all night making hash. Really? What were you? You know, I'm like, babe, look in the truck, look at my eyes. I got trays. I got trays. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got trays. I was doing work. I promise not in the city all night for nothing. So, um, 
yeah, that was, that's, you know, it's, that was, it was cool, you know, wasn't really hip to drying all my stuff in, in, in a controlled environment. It was right. more about, you know, trying to up the yields, I think, by, by getting in the cold, cold space to do that. So how were you drying at that time? Just out of curiosity. Say that again. How were you drying? Were you just like chopping it up, putting it in like pizza boxes, parchment type thing? No, at, at that time I was, I was sieving it onto uh, trays. Um, and then, uh, I abandoned the sieve and, and moved into microplaning and, uh, you know, microplaning was just a lot of work and tedious and, and painful, you know, like I'd catch my finger and ruin some hash with my blood. Um, <laughs> um, but, and then, you know, once we got into more controlled environments and, uh, again, the goat turned me on to the cool bot. Um, that was like a game changer because then I could, I could, you know, convert a space in my garage and make that my cold room and, and work in there in, in a really cold environment and, you know, dry in there too, cause you can get the humidity down right. and really that's all we're using in, in our lab today is, you know, some mini splits, a couple cool bots, some D Hueys and, and run it. You know, we, we have a, uh, a freeze dryer, of course. Um, but I've, I've got stuff on the racks right now. That pink lemonade 90U first pull is, is, uh, is sieved out and on those racks right now, you know? So, uh, I like to do a little bit of that when I can. And so like you, you'll bring that to market as well. So people will have options. Like you can get <laughs> the freeze dried version or the air dried version. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And, and most of the stuff that we put through the freeze dryer, we are rosining. You know, um, it just kind of depends. Again, you gotta, you gotta make audibles. You gotta know like what, what, what is it? You know, the first, the first, the first polls, you know, we're using every bag just to kind of see where everything's at. And then at that point we make an audible and say, okay, pull these ones out and leave these ones in. And this is what we're going to do with this, you know? And that's every time we start a new load, we're doing that. Right. Until we get the intel and then we know, oh, this is the whatever, let's, let's, let's do this, you know. Yeah, and um, so, you know, you brought up rosin. I'm curious, you know, since you've seen kind of the progress in Washington of concentrates over the last, let's call it 15 years. How does that change hash for you or does it change hash for you? Obviously, it makes it more viable to do solventless. You know, it was, it was really wild because I remember selling grams of hash for 20 bucks and it was, uh, it was all just, you were just trying to make full melt bubble. You know, nothing was, this was pre dabs. It was just full melt bubble. Yeah. There was no, nobody was dabbing anything. Um, and I think the desire to maybe try to dab something came later, but I think kind of dabbing stuff was really driven by BHO and, um, and then the hash game desire to have solventless hash that was dabbable, you know, kind of was piggybacked on that, that same kind of uh, around the same time, you know, and, and that's really what, what drove a lot of the innovations and in, in how we made hash. But there was a time there when I couldn't in the early medical days, when the stores didn't want my solventless hash, it wasn't, you know, BHO was just in fad. You know, that I actually had a store owner tell me, silly, 
guy that he was that, you know, BHOs killed solventless. You know, it wasn't even solventless. He just said, the BHOs killed your hash. We don't want it anymore. <laughs> you know, it was fucking gorgeous hash, bro. It was, it was killer hash. Um, <clears throat> yeah, because you were growing for hash. Like, you didn't have, right, rosin at the time still? No, no. back then, I was, I was growing in some of flowers. Okay. You know? And we were making hash out of the trim. Gotcha. You know, and then, and then, um, you know, just values of things change, you know, uh, when, when flower rosin hit, it was like, holy shit, this is crazy. I cut down a 12 lighter and squished the whole thing, you know, and went from 20 to 40, you know, and, and it was like, and, and then in six months, the price dropped from 50 gram for flower rosin to 20, like in six months, like, you know what I mean? But I hit that first little thing there and that was, that was pretty cool, you know, but, um, yeah, there was a time when, you know, like it was, stash was 20 bucks a gram and it was all just put it on top of your weed and BHO came along and they thought they didn't really didn't even want to pay 20 bucks a gram. And then the hash just got so good. <laughs> like it surpassed it. And in, in Washington, the medical scene, like it was amazing. The hash stuff that was at the end of the medical scene, like it was tops. You know, what those I always like to. Um, okay, so I would say the first rec stores showed up in Washington in January of 2010. Okay, and um, I think they killed medical like 2016. Okay, uh, maybe 2015 um, when they passed when they passed the 502. Uh, the recreational cannabis thing. Um, and, and then they basically just sent out letters and shut everybody down. And, and then the rec market, like, like how could we make the jump? Right. They, they had all these crazy laws in place. Like I couldn't, I couldn't just make the jump. Um, nobody could. So then eventually some of the, the hash guys made their way in uh, gold leaf gardens uh, paired up with, with, with polar ice tracks and, you know, they, they started doing their thing and, um, the goat actually was in there and those guys had a really rough go of it. You know, a couple companies, I think even went out of business and, um, and then I got in, I got in way late and, um, there was kind of a, a bit of a resurgence, you know, just kind of in the culture and everywhere else. And, and now like people are really thriving and doing better. The goats making hash at a, at a, at a at a new spot and um you know a lot of those guys are still out there so it's it's kind of cool yeah like you mentioned voodoo earlier like you said he's working out with someone so yeah it's cool <laughs> that uh, maybe it was rough for a while but maybe now it's evening out a little yeah yeah it is it is at least at least people are, are seeing the value in in these different products and the people who who are putting them out there. And I think it's really neat that the market has responded and supported so many of the people that were there um, beforehand, you know, uh, legacy brands, if you want to call them that or, or whatever it is, but you know, it's been really, really awesome, you know, and um, heartfelt to see people support that way. So yeah, that's probably the best part of it. That's cool, man. Well, Kaya, I appreciate you hanging out with me, man. I know like I've, Told you when we took a break, you know, you taking time from your family. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, because it's too uh, fascinating to me, 
to not talk about is Hawaii. You know, I've heard you say the best hash in the world for you right now, you, you think is coming out of Hawaii. I've heard you call it metaphysical grade. And, you know, I haven't had much to try out there. Shout out to Mother Rock Botanicals and uh, Preston for sure. Those guys are cool. And uh, I tried a little bit of, of their gear and, and it was amazing. So talk to me about Hawaii because I know you uh, now have some roots there, pun intended. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I got, I, I got, I got blessed enough to, uh, to have a Hawaiian queen and, um, you know, she, she took me home and, and, and the family welcomed me in and, um, and I've got some really, really awesome friends out there. And, uh, you know, her, her brothers had went to school with, uh, with some of these fellows and, um, you know, they're just, the dreadlocks, uh, my brethren, Logan, he runs, uh, conscious rhythms out there in Hawaii, uh, roots culture store. They get glass, um, smokable hemp, um, records. And, um, and he teaches a class. He's got a little school out there. Uh, Emperor Eileen Selassie's, uh, oh man, I'm going to screw that up. School of learning Institute of learning. Um, and and he's teaching people, um, you know, intuition and natural farming and, uh, you know, taking back your sovereignty with growing. And um, his understanding, you know, he's he's been a, a, a crucial teacher in, in my education and in uh, and, and, and my understanding of, of how the world works. And um, he has got an incredible little uh, little farm out there that he has worked with his heart and his hands and um, you know, he's shared, you know, we've, we've shared genetics um, back and forth and it's, it's really amazing what, what those guys are able to do. You know, Hawaii's got a lot of different climate zones. So depending on where you're at, you're going to face a different series of challenges and you're going to have different weather, you know, lots of different microclimates. So when I was going out there 10 years ago, it was okay, but where these guys have figured it out in the last couple of years is absolutely amazing. Some of the terpene expressions off the stuff and just really the effects of, of the medicine, you know, and I don't know if it's so much, if it's the sun, right? And, and you know, we mentioned that earlier, right? The sun resin versus the indoor resin, you know, where you're at really counts, you know, in Washington, we get intense sun during a certain period and then we get gray. So it's a little different. It's a lot different than Oregon or California or Hawaii. Um, you know, and, and Hawaii's got those extra elements, um, the different types of soil out there, mineral rich and, and the sea air, but it's grades. It's, it's super grades. And it, it, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a consumer. And <laughs> when I get out there and I get a chance to, to play with that stuff, it's, uh, it takes me where I need to go. <laughs> so I, I think that's just because again, they're, they're, they're tapped into, you know, utilizing the microorganisms and, and letting them, letting them do that kind of work, but also because their intention, that's something that I take away from them is, you know, their, their intention is to make something that is used in the sacramental way. And, uh, I think that's that's super important. Too often we're just we're consuming, you know, and it's 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 cool to make a dad video and you know, this is it's a sacrament. You know, this is this is a medicine, this is a gift and 
you know, treating its production with some intention and, and having some mindfulness in its creation, I, I think is, is valid in, in putting extra power into it. So, yeah, that's what I'd say about that. Cool. Can you talk about some of the different expressions that you've seen in those different microclimates there that you were mentioning? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, I, I got a brethren at Plant Strong 808, and he is he's up much higher, and it's it's very cold and windy, and um, you know his bud structures they're just much much more tighter, smaller, but the crystal content on it is like nothing else, you know. Uh, like sometimes I'm like, what plant is that? All I, all I can see is crystals on this thing. You know, it's, it's crazy looking. Whereas you come down a little bit lower and, and you're getting a, a, a totally different register. The temperatures aren't coming down that low. You know, it's warmer. So the plants are getting bigger and the terpenes change too. You know, the, the different, the different smells that come off them. You know, I, I think the stuff that's grown a little bit lower has a little more pungent smell to it. Uh, so it, it's, it's really interesting. And again, you know, those guys are all facing different challenges, but, but I've definitely seen the same cultivars grown in those, in those different regions on that Island. And it's almost unrecognizable. You know, if you didn't really know what you were looking at or, or the smell, being able to judge it by the smell, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to tell uh, visually so much, you know, the cues are, are kind of gone. But that's a, that's, a, that's a huge extreme, too. I mean, when you're talking about 1,500 feet versus 4,000 feet. Right. Uh, you know, I, I imagine people see the same kind of differences, you know, here on the mainland. But, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 like, I, like, I like the stuff up on top. Yeah. Just such a unique place in the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 11 of the 13 different climate zones, you know, that's, that's wild, right? You know? And, uh, yeah. And- this uh are they running any of your gear i'm curious like have you seen different expressions of your own lines listen i've seen my own clones <laughs> because you know it's cool i show up there and it's like hey here's some blueberries like woo, you know what i mean it's, <laughs> it's there so yeah i've seen i've seen my own clones i've seen plants it's it's really cool um i've actually had had them pop seeds and make selections and i've you know been out there and got to smoke and like wow that's fucking amazing you still have that yep you know that one's coming home with me you know um and then we've done some of that stuff too and that's that's really cool because now i get i know how it did there and and i'm gonna see now how it does over here and uh yeah yeah yeah, it's cool i drop seeds off over there all the time whenever i go they got they're getting more seeds And sometimes I get seeds back. I've had some really crazy stuff. Uncle Aldo gave me some stuff one time and uh, I got a half pound. I grew it in a five gallon organic, you know, just water only soil and a half pound off this plant. It took me less than a minute to trim it. It was literally just big nugs with a leaf. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, this crazy sativa and I smoked it and I literally smoked the whole joint. And I'm like, what in the fuck? Like, I'm not stoned at all. And I went to get my cell phone to call Aldo and be like, wow, what did you give me? Like, dude, this is the weirdest. Like, this plant looked amazing. You know, it's pot. But like, small, I'm not even stoned. But like 15 minutes later, zoink. I was hammered, like <laughs> drooling, drooling. Um, and I could never get any more of those seeds back from him. 
I was so upset. Um, it had this crazy, it smelled like paint thinner um, and, and some kind of like overripe raspberry. It was, it was weird. And I, I had some that were like this duck foot, uh, duck, duck foot looking uh, leaf. But uh, I swear to you, the plant smelled and looked like cherry pie. And I've never seen anything that smelled like, like, I was like, what in the heck? And he's like, bro, we've been breeding this one on this patch for like nine years. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Cause this one smells like cherry pie, but it had the little web duck foot on it. And they were super unstable. Um, you know, whenever I got stuff from those guys, it was unstable, but uh, what they would do is, you know, like they just have a little patch so that you'd have like your money crop and then you have a, a little patch to get your seed for the next year. Right. Um, that's cool though. That's cool. You know, and I've given those guys all different, you know, I make sure I give them different seed so they're not, you know, they got something different to work with. And, um, you know, sometimes it works out. Sometimes they're like, no, nah, this don't work. You know, blueberries don't do good in tropical climates. You know, they're susceptible, something about it, at least in my experience with them, you know, they have problems with, with, the the moisture. Um, other plants do really well. The coffee does really well out there. It's, it's, it handles it. So, you know, it's good field research. You know, I get, I get to test my stuff in different environments. For sure. That's what I was asking. Yeah. In part. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I can serve now. I can, I can, we're sending stuff to the Caribbean now and um, Jamaica and uh, all kinds of spots. So it's, it's kind of cool. And I can do that with confidence and say, yeah, these, these will do well there. Yeah. Cool, man. We talked about this lightly earlier and, just quickly, I'm curious your thoughts. You know, you mentioned having a mentor in Lemon Hoko, and I'm curious how you feel like that played into your own development. And is it important to have someone like that? Because a lot of people that get into the game might not, and their values may be different because of it. Do you feel like it's important to have this? almost apprentice maybe like or mentor like type relationship if you can yeah i mean if you i think being an apprentice is a good way to learn i, I wouldn't necessarily use that word to describe my relationship with mel mentors is probably more accurate with mel but i i think it's um especially with learning to hash you know being an apprentice is super important because you can learn on somebody else's dime and usually you're learning from somebody who knows what they're doing. So they're not teaching you mistakes. You're, you're getting like, you know, you're learning, you're learning how to do things proper and why to do things. You know, if you have a good teacher, they're teaching you why. Otherwise, you know, how are you learning? You know, watching YouTube videos or making mistakes. Either way, you're going to be making mistakes. But, you know, in, in my case with Mel, I, I think it's, I think it's good to have a mentor. I think uh, I think um, a mentor will force a, a layer of humbleness on you. I've seen people with bigger egos resist mentorship and, and miss out on lessons about them, themselves. Um, I've seen people without mentors in life, you know, they, you got nobody to check you. You got, you got nobody that you respect to, to tell you, this is, this is why this is the way we do it. This is how we do it. I mean, you do it your own way, but this is, you know, understand this about it. Um, I think that's super important. And I think, I think when you don't have that in your life, you know, 
he was suffer from it maybe but a, a lot of a lot of old traditions and stuff were passed on by mentors and you know that's an old tradition and i'm i'm kind of from that school yeah you know? and on that same note you know uh, i've heard you talk about in regards to for example breeding uh showing your work right and that seems again to be maybe part of what you're talking about maybe part of like this older school of tradition where that isn't necessarily the case now. So what are your thoughts on that as a breeder? I just don't, I don't really see the point. I mean, I guess I do. I mean, if you just, if you're trying to make some money, then that's a good way to make money is to make seeds. But I don't see the point in, in breeding something. If you don't, if you don't care enough to grow it yourself, like I'm, I made this so somebody else can grow it, but I don't care to grow it. That's kind of weird to me. But really, like seeing your creation, like this is your creation, and don't you want to? you want to check your creation? You know, do you want to have a hand in your creation? I mean, it's it's one thing for me to to make children, but I, I want to influence them. I want to I want to guide them. I want to be there in their lives. I want to have a hand on them and. I, I look at, you know, weed kind of, you know, same way. You know, I, I I don't see what the fun would be. It just, I guess, you know, making money is fun. So just making seeds and selling them. But I would be very disheartened. You know, I want to see what, I want to see what comes out of it. I want to know. And then that can inform my next decision and my next. And now you're on your way. You know, otherwise I think you just kind of, I don't know, you're just in a spot, you know, and then being in a spot, not moving, I don't know, you're like a target or a sitting duck or something, you know, <laughs> like me, I want to be moving uh, in a direction, you know, hopefully like upwards, you know, but um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like if you're doing it, don't you want to see, you know what I mean? Like do you, do you put all the toppings on the pizza and throw it in the oven and then just leave and you know what I mean? Like you don't want to see the pizza come out, you know? You don't. I want to see the pizza come out. I want to taste the pizza. You know, I want to smell the pizza. I want to know, you know. And if it's really bomb pizza, then I'm gonna call my friend and be like, "Yeah, come check this out," you know. And then everybody's excited and and it's good, you know. But just to just to not even participate in that, like I don't, I don't understand. I don't like what's what's the point? What are you doing? You know. Why, why are you doing this? You know, like, where, where's, your, where's your passion really at? You know, um, but that, that's what excites me about breeding and being able to have a hand in that and seeing with the feedback and, you know, does it make hash and, ooh, this new turp or, you know, that's exciting, you know, and you never know with this stuff. So, shit, I might find something so good, I don't want to let it out. <laughs> that's, that's my friend Ghost. He's like... I'm like, dude, why don't you sell some of your seeds? You got killer stuff. You're like, uh, I don't want to give somebody something too good. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I love it. I think it's, I think it's cool. <laughs> so if you had to pick a, a forever strain, if you were bound to one strain, what would that be? Can I pick two? Sure. I could pick two. If I could pick two forever strains, I would pick this, this blueberry. 
blueberry is this blueberry is like my all-time favorite daytime. There's just nothing better smelling or tasting every time. It's just so killer. This is um, not the Canadian version that you were talking about earlier, though. No, this one I got from I got from Mel. Um, back in the day, they called it the five hundred dollar cut because that's what he charged for a cut of it. And um, it's it's DJ Short seed stock that was you know pre ninety nine. You know his original seed stock before um, he lost all of his material and kind of had to start all his breedings over again. And it's a it's a sativa, it's a squat little bugger, but it's got really narrow leaves and pure sativa high, and just the flavor on it's absolutely immaculate. You know, it's everybody's favorite. Everybody I know, um, you know, you could ask anybody around me, and they all want blueberry. Um, so that one and, and the coffee. And the coffee, you know, just again, it's 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 narcotic. It's medicine to me. It, it really, really, it, it helps my body and my my mental. Um, it's it's good medicine. You know, neither one of them are you know terribly tough to grow, but also neither one of them are the easiest to grow either. Coffee doesn't like to be wet. I don't know if I'd pick those to be like if you could just grow one. You know, like. <laughs> An easiest one to grow would be, I guess, a different question. But yeah, for for burning, those two would be my favorite to burn. You know, um, hash. I have a different answer. Yeah, I was going to say um, top top hash strain. Right now, right now, this hammer ham is like number one on my list, and strawberries right next to it. I mean, they're that good. This hammer ham is unreal, and when I hit it, it just, you know, it's it's an immediate effect, like full face body boom. Um, it jumps all over you, um, which is awesome. Um, but I, uh, all timers, man, that OG Ghost Train Haze is hard to beat. It's really hard to beat, you know. And uh, as easily as I get sick of orange strains, um, the goat had this kosher tangy that was really lovely. You know, the orange turp once in a while is a good one to have around. But I like I like the coffee breath. The coffee breath has got, you know, it's a little. It's a little more gassy, and I like a little gas in the hash. Yeah, no, it's nice. Well, cool, man. This is always kind of a weird, tough question, but if you had to pick three favorite hash makers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Conscious Rhythms guy, Logan. He's got some good strains, too. Man, he's got some good strains. Um... Man, no disrespect to anybody that I leave out because you guys all make really killer hash. I know a lot of dudes in the hash game. I'm sure, yeah. Everybody has shared. There's so many super – and there's actually a lot of folks that I've really – I've never tried. Shame on me. I've never even got to try some, like, some really – like, I've never tried dying uh, third, third gen guys. I've never, I've never actually tried any other hash. That's crazy, right? <laughs> so crazy. I can't believe I just said that. Well, like you um, said before to me, I think before we got on air, uh, part of the reason that you actually listen to some of these interviews is because like you don't get to catch up with people at events, right? You're both of you are busy, you're doing your thing and like you don't, you don't get to connect on that level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think Voodoo Melts is like, he's, he's like really the most um, meticulous, anal retentive about his process. Like he's like, 
you know, he's got his way to do it and he's very, you know, so I, I give him some, some props, but, uh, Kirk Cush, really amazing. And, and here's the thing, right? Like you get to a certain point where like, okay, everybody's got a cold room. Everybody's got clean ice cubes and clean water, right? What, what separates the hash at that point? Right. Um, maybe your genetics, but really like how you're growing it and stuff, you know? And, um, so I think guys that are natural farming, they just, they just have a leg up, you know, when I, when I get Brandon's hash, it's, it's freaking unbelievable. You know, Ganja Gill gave me some hash when I met, met him down at the regen. That was uh, some garlic cookies. That was just, man, I savored it. I was hoarding it. You know, I didn't even tell people that I had it because I didn't want them to smell my jar. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was just like, you know, they saw this, this empty ice work jar, like, what was that? No, I don't know. Stay away from there. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's um, Yeah, so... Um, you know, those, those, those hash makers that are also, you know, growing and, and breeding and doing that, that kind of stuff. I think they just have a leg up and, and that's the favorite hash that I've had. So. Cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I love Brandon's hash. Uh, I've never actually got to try ice books, but yeah, I, you know, it, it seems to be trending amongst hash makers and uh, a little bit amongst cultivators in general. I think, you know, maybe, doing more of, I don't know if mindful is the right word, but, uh, you know, regenerative style type farming. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And it's empowering and, and it's, it's easier than you thought. And, and it's safer than you thought. And it's more rewarding than you thought. And yeah, man, it's awesome. I mean, you know, if you're into wearing, you know, leather loafers and strip clubs, you're probably not into it. I get it. It's cool. No worries, you know what I mean. But I, I, you know, I like I like I like pure things. I like natural things. <laughs> I like natural ladies, you know. <laughs> Last question, bro. Uh, if you could hear anybody else on the podcast, who would it be? Uh, man, you know what. I don't know. There's different people for different reasons. You know what I mean? Like, I like to hear about different people's techniques and stuff. You know, maybe somebody's coming up with something different. But um, but I also think think about people that I haven't heard from in a while. You know, and I always thought of, like, Fred Morris as being um, somebody from, you know, the guy from Colorado, Fred Morris, was, like, you know, somebody I used to look up to when I was trying to get better at hash making. You know, so... Uh, I, I don't even know if he's still around doing his thing, you know, but I, I kind of wonder, you know, like, what are you up to? You know, what, what's right. going on? I saw something about some East Coast hash makers the other day, which I thought was interesting. I, I don't know anybody out there, but, you know, hearing from those guys would, would kind of be cool. Yeah, funny enough, I just, I did a panel last night uh, with three guys out there. Um, and yeah, it, it's interesting to hear, like, you know, where, where they're at and, and how that's all evolving out there as well. So, um, I think uh, Mariambros is the guy's name. Mariambros, he's from uh, somewhere down South America. Okay. Uh, and and uh, I think he had a, a Barbara strain or something. Um, but I seen they were doing crazy stuff with hash, putting it through like grinder thingies, and they're called chocolatiers or something. I don't know. And, uh, so I always wanted to hear more from him. You know, uh, I like to hear about 
other people in other countries and how they're doing their processes and how we might be influencing them and how they influence us and uh, genetic things that they look, I don't know. To me, that that's really interesting. Um, yeah, that's very cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you've, have you heard of the guys? Uh, they're in, um, it's called the Backyard Club. I don't think so. They're in, they're in Barcelona and uh, they had, I'd met these guys. They, they're two French guys and they had come uh, to Emerald Cup. And when I was over there, they invited me to the club and I didn't know who they were. The club was something different. And I got there and it was them. I'm like, hi. And they showed me pictures of where they had went to Morocco and brought this mobile setup and were washing these big fields and explaining how the farmers were doing things. And like, it was really fascinating, you know, and just to hear that, man, my, I guess got my excitement level went through the roof, um, you know, I'm, I'm into that, man. I, I would love to take a trip and go, you know, take the whole family and go trekking somewhere and, and, and check out, you know, old world hash making and stuff. I just think to me, that's, I don't know, that kind of stuff. If you got anybody that's, uh, that's in a different country like that, that would be cool to hear from, you know? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll see what I can do. Awesome. Well, Kaya, man, again, super appreciative of your time. Thank your wife uh, for holding down the fort for us today. Um, <laughs> again, you can follow Kaya on various Instagram accounts: the Shadow Band, Pacific Roots with the Z, uh, the Non Shadow Band, Pacific Roots with an S and underscore at the end, and then Worldwide Roots. Anything else you wanted to say, man? I'll take care of each other. Be kind to each other. You know, follow your heart. Don't, don't, don't let fear guide you. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all making a difference out here. So just keep, keep, uh, keep up the positive vibes. Keep smoking a hash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The hammer, hammer. All right. Cool. Yeah. man. Well, thank you. Thank you everybody for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bless. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Hashish Inn. If you like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.